morning. morning. Happy Lord's Day. Yeah, yeah, it's the Lord's Day. Let me say it one more time. Happy Lord's Day. Day. It's the Lord's Day. Saints gather all around the world on the first day of the week to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the Bible calls it the Lord's Day, and so we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. So whether you're in a really dark and difficult season of life right now, or whether you're in a brighter and more encouraging season of life right now, there's hope for you because Christ has died for our sins and he rose from the dead, defeating Satan, sin, and death. So this is the Lord's Day. So one more time, happy Lord's Day. Happy Lord's Day. Yeah, it's a joy to be here. Thank you for letting me uh, say that. I do want to say I am, I'm, north of, I'm well north of 40 years old. I'm 43 now. And so I need someone else to pick this up and bring this up. Can I get my uh, intern and assistant or others? Is that okay if you guys? Sorry, I brought my own uh, pastoral. I brought my own crew here. You guys, cool. I don't know how heavy this is. But I see Jeff with the neck brace. I'm like, I'm not trying to, I, I, I've been, I, yeah, I hurt a lot easier than I used to. So just want to make sure. I don't know how heavy this thing is. All right. I just want to say, uh, by way of introdu- introduction, my name is PJ Tobian. Um, I am, I've been a Christian since 1989. Um, I've been married to Francis since 2005. And we have five kids. We, we had six kids. One, one died uh, in pre-birth, um, miscarriage. But um, but we have six kids, five here that um, are walking with us, and we're raising, hopefully, to the glory of God as we attempt to. And so I'm a pastor at Bethany Baptist Church, and it's a joy here to be with you. I want to bring greetings to you on behalf of Bethany Baptist Church. And it's a little bit different bringing it this time than last time I was here, because our church got to know Jeff a little bit. Jeff came and preached for us on January 1st, and so our church even more now has a connection to you guys and to you saints. So greetings. Um, to you on behalf of our church family. I have Josh and Clark here, two brothers from our church as well. And so um, they're also representing our church family here. Just want to say also by way of introduction that Jeff is a dear friend. Um, with, uh, among all the pastors that I know, he, he has the best haircut of all the pastors I know. <laughs> I, I really appreciate that. Um, and more importantly, when I think of Jeff, I think of 1 Timothy 4, 14 through 16 that says, don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Practice these things. Here it is. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. I think Jeff, and then it says, pay close attention to your life and teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You have a pastor who pays close attention to his life, his teaching, and even uh, as I get to interact with him, I, I see him just, what we should all be doing is making progress. How can we grow? Just the next step of growth in Christ as a, as a husband, as a pastor, as a Christian. And so I see that in him and certainly want to emulate that from him. Um, I also wanted to say a little bit about Shepherd LA. I want to thank you for investing in Shepherd LA. Uh, we connect and resource like-minded pastors for healthier churches in LA. And you guys are, do, do they know that this budget thing? Can I announce it here? Okay. <laughs> Breaking news. You, yeah, it is your money. You guys are the first local church outside of our church that's actually giving to this ministry initiative. So thank you. I want to thank you for that. Yes. Thank you so much. We, we are trying to connect and resource like-minded pastors, and we don't ask other churches for help, but again, Jeff, in, in leading you and in his love for other pastors said, hey, we want to invest a little something in the ministry and in these pastors, even financially. So thank you so much for that. And most of all, thank you for being the local church. Thank you for loving Jesus, thank you for trusting Jesus, and thank you for coming Sunday after Sunday and being committed to Christ and his people. We need you in Los Angeles. We need many, many more churches like this. 
that are loving Jesus, paying attention to God's word. It might seem like you're doing a small thing. It's your Sunday routine. You're just here gathering, right? It's just what you do. No, you are the, the living temple where the Holy Spirit dwells in this place because he dwells in you, not this place, in, but this gathering. And so lots of living temples all around Los Angeles, faithfully preaching Christ, you are doing more for the Great Commission than you understand and than I understand. Actually, we're going to see our rewards in heaven. We're going to be like, oh, that, that counted? I didn't know you were paying attention to that, Lord. I was just singing a song to the Lord. Like, I, I, I mean, I didn't know that another person was, was singing with me or heard my voice or saw me focusing on Jesus, and it brought them to focus on you more. I didn't know that. I didn't know paying attention to a sermon could bear more fruit and I could get rewards for listening to a sermon. But you do. There's just way, just obeying Jesus without knowing how it counts. You don't need to know how it counts. Just follow him. And we will be, we will be surprised by God's generosity. So thank you for just being you, being the local church. It's the most important thing here in Los Angeles. So thank you. Well, because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please take your Bible and open it to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. This is a psalm of David. It begins by saying a miktam of David. So it's a psalm, a song of David. Miktam is probably some term that they used for their, their gatherings, their worship services. I don't know exactly what it means, but here is a psalm of David. So let me read it to you. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, which is what most of you use. But if you have a different translation, it's not going to be too different than yours. If this is your first time looking at a Bible, when I say Psalm 16, 16 is the big number, and the small numbers are the verse numbers, okay? And you'll, you'll, you'll know that as I'm tracking along and saying which verse I'm pointing to. Hear God's word now from Psalm 16. Preserve me, God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord, Yahweh, as you capital L-O-R-D, that's for Yahweh, his personal name. The Lord, Yahweh, is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless Yahweh, the Lord, who gives me counsel. In the night, also, my heart instructs me. I have set Yahweh, the Lord, always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my whole being, my whole body, my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. May the word of Christ dwell richly among us in all wisdom. Our Father in heaven, it is an act of worship altogether to read your word out loud and to listen to your word read out loud. We ask now that you would do more than we can ask or think. 
because you told us that apart from you, Lord Jesus, we can do nothing. I can't preach in any way that's spiritually fruitful. We can't listen and grow in any way that's spiritual, spiritually fruitful. We might grow in knowledge, which might grow us in pride and being puffed up, but we don't want that, Lord. We want to grow in love that builds up. Love for you and love for others, love for one another, love for the lost, love for the nations, love for the future generations. And so, Father, we ask that you would incline our hearts to your testimonies and not to material earthly gain. Open our eyes to see wonderful things here in your psalm and help us to see the glories of Jesus Christ. Unite our hearts to fear your name. Satisfy us this morning with your covenant love so that we would rejoice and be glad in you all of our days. God, some here are discouraged. Some will be discouraged in the coming weeks and months. Some are overwhelmed. Some will be overwhelmed. We pray that you would plant and water this seed of Psalm 16 in our hearts to bear fruit now and in the weeks and months and years to come until you take us home or until Christ returns. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever been unsettled or discouraged by fear or an enemy or by any danger that was outside of your control? Everyone has. Everyone has. Both Christian and non-Christian. You don't have to be, uh, being a Christian does not eliminate the unsettledness. Being a Christian does not eliminate the discouragement and the fear and the danger that's in this world. So that's going to happen in your life. And you can't control the outside circumstances. But we can control and we're responsible in, in how we respond to these circumstances, right? And I want you to think about this, this response and the way you live in this broken, pressurized world. Your broken and pressurized world this morning. In the book of 2 Kings, you don't have to turn there, but in 2 Kings chapter 6, one of my favorite Bible stories as a kid is a story about Elisha who is... Basically, he's a prophet, and he's telling the king of Israel every time the king of um, Aram, I think, the Arameans, were going to invade Israel at certain places, and every time they're about to invade, the prophet Elisha would know what they're going to do, and he would tell the king, and then they would always defeat the enemy, like three or four times. And the king of Aram was like, who's spying? What is going on? Who is telling where we're going? And they're like, none of us are. They got a prophet. They got the prophet, Elisha. And he's like, go and kill this prophet. So he sends a full army to kill one man. A full army goes to, Eli finds Elisha where he lives, goes to his house, and the whole army, the whole military, surrounds the house. And uh, Elisha's servant, you know, he, he wakes up in the morning, takes the eye boogers out of his eyes, you know, just getting up, stretching, looks out the window, and he's like, what? You know, he sees an army out there. He, he goes downstairs, opens the door. There's an army out there. He goes to his master, Elisha, and he's like, Master, there is an army out there. And he's panicking. He's unsettled. He's fearful. They don't look happy. They want to kill them. And so Elisha goes out with his, with his servant, and, and, and his servant is freaking out. And his, and his master, Elisha, has no fear. He's just chilling. And, and the servant's like, Master, what, why are you like this? They're about to kill us. And Elisha just prays and he says, Lord, open his eyes. And then the servant looks out 
and the armies of Israel, the angelic army, is surrounding the army of Aram. Elisha could see that. He knew that. And when you know that, you live securely. When you know that, you can be glad in your security because God is your security. When you don't know that, you freak out, right? But when you know it, when you know it, you can rest in glad security. Just to end the story, so the army comes to invade and they come to attack, and then Elisha just says, God, blind them, and he blinds them. And then you can read on the rest of the story, but just, just know <laughs> Elisha was safe, okay? Elisha was safe, the servant was safe. Read it, on, read it in 2 Kings if you want to. But the point here is that we as Christians have God protecting us. And so we have an opportunity to rest in glad security. Can you, can I get to a place of glad security? This world is broken, like I said. Our bodies are broken. There's sin in this world. Praise God for the report on Jeff's surgery and his recovery. It's amazing and astounding, and I'm thankful for it, and yet our bodies are still breaking down, right? I mean, we're still going to die, right? Like, praise God for that, and praise God for medicine, but we are still on the decline. I say we who are past 40, right? Uh, we are on the decline. And, and, and so there's, there's brokenness in our world, there's brokenness in our bodies, and then there's sin in this world, there's worldliness, the world is worldly, marginalizing God, there's pressure on us from that, and if that's not enough pressure from the outside, there's pressure from within. We got sin in our own lives, so demons never stop attacking and tempting and working, then we got our own demonic thoughts and sins from our own heart that bubbles up, and so we struggle with all of this. Even our knowledge of God, we know better than we live, don't we? And so a lot of times our knowledge is even dysfunctional. So we can be overwhelmed with worry, with anxiety, with restlessness, being discouraged or deflated. I was just thinking about this morning as I was here sitting here and thinking, where am I discouraged and deflated this morning? And I thought, you know, we've had a few, December was one of the toughest months in a long time for our, our church for, for several different reasons. One of them is our family did have a miscarriage in December. By God's grace, he has picked us up. We're going to be grieving, I'm sure, for the rest of our lives in different ways, but, um, but God has picked us up, generally speaking. But I'm like, what am, I, what am I overwhelmed with right now? I think I'm overwhelmed with a sense of failure as a pastor. With all that I need to do with that and then my kids and my wife, I, I feel like I'm not able to handle it all in, at certain moments. I feel overwhelmed. I still feel like I put one foot in the for the other. I have nothing else to do, but, but I don't have a glad security. I do think God's going to get me through. I trust God. But when I think about glad security, like this just assured, not, if you look at uh, Psalm 15, verse 9, I'm, I'm Psalm 16, verse 9, I'm thinking 69. Therefore, my heart is glad. That's the theme. That's, that's where we're going. That's where I'm aiming and praying for you guys, verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices and my flesh also dwells securely. Not just feeling, like feeling well, even just, Biblically, I know I'm going to be okay, but do I have a, a mental and emotional rest? And more than that, my flesh dwells securely. You know, the body keeps the score, right? When you're stressed, it does take its toll on your body, even if you don't feel it and you feel good, it will catch up at some point. I want my flesh to dwell securely too. The good news is we don't have to live in worry or fear or in defeat or in discouragement or in overwhelm. We can have glad security. So here's my main goal of the sermon. I think this is coming from the psalm. Come to a place of glad security in Christ. 
That's what I want to invite you to. That's what I want to call you to. I want all of you to come take steps to, uh, to getting to a place of glad security in Christ. I think that's verse 9, glad security in Christ. Now how? To get there, or like I said with Jeff, what we all want to do is make progress. To make progress towards that, we need to do four things, and it's in the psalm. Okay, you guys ready for four things from the psalm? Four ways, four things we need to do, four steps to take regularly, four habits to cultivate in our lives to get to a place of glad security in trial. Number one, pray for protection. Pray for protection, or you could say pray for preservation. This is in verses one through four. Look at verse one, Psalm 16, verse one. Here's the prayer of David. What is he praying? What does he want God to do? You say it. What does he want him to do? Preserve him. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Uh, another translation says, protect me. Protect me, God, for, I, for in you I take refuge. Now, we, so we, we, we should pray. David is praying, and he's modeling for us a prayer. Now, people in our culture today say that prayers and well wishes do nothing. You know, when you say, oh, our thoughts and prayers are with you, that means no, to atheists and to those who don't know Christ, or even to Christians who feel like prayer doesn't do anything, it feels useless. It feels like an empty sentiment. But Christians know better. David knows better. When you pray for preservation, there's someone who hears it on the other side. There's a God who's beside you, as we're going to learn, and he's hearing you, and he's listening, and he's responding. So why should we ask God for protection? Look at verse 1. Verse 1 gives us a reason. Preserve me, O God. Why? For in you I take refuge. Because, we take, because, because God is good to us. Look at verse 2. He who walks... Bla- I'm sorry. I'm looking at chapter 15. I'm in Psalm 15. Six, um, chapter 16, verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no what? I have no good apart from you. So why should we ask God for protection? Where is all of our good? In whom? In God. Apart from God, there is no good. And if there's no good apart from God, there's no protection apart from God. There's no preservation from, apart from God. Our sin will take over. Satan will take over. The world will swallow us up. The fear of death and dying will swallow you up. There is no preservation. There is no protection. There is no, even broader than that, there is no goodness that you could ever experience in your life apart from God. All your goodness is in God. Side note here, even if you're not a Christian, all your goodness is in the true God. Everything you love about life and in this world is only good because it's an echo of God. It's a pointer to God. It's an experience of the true God. You just don't give him credit for that. And that's part of your culpability and our guilt before God. You love your family? God made family to point to him. You love health and physical fitness? God made your body and made your body to, to bear his image. You like friends? God made you a social being because he made you to relate to him and others together. You have no good apart from God. David knows this. I have no good apart from God. So if I need protection, if I need preservation, there's only one person I'm going to. Ultimately, it's God. Verse two, he is our master. I say to Yahweh, you are my Lord. You're my Lord. All my good is in you. There's no good beyond God. There's no good above God. There's no good apart from God. How can David, who is a sinner, expect goodness from God? The Bible says the wages of sin is 
death. The penalty, the consequence, what you deserve for your sin is death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. If it's eternal life, then what do you deserve? Not just death, but eternal death, right? If it's eternal life, eternal death is what you deserve. You don't deserve any goodness from God. We deserve to be crushed under the wrath of God in the lake of fire forever. That's what we deserve. David here is praying and he expects goodness. Why? Why can he expect goodness? He can because we know from David's story, Psalm 32, Psalm 51, David has been forgiven of his sins. He can expect goodness from God because God is a forgiving God. Not because God's an unrighteous God who doesn't care about sin. Not because God sweeps your sin under the rug and doesn't care. God knows all of your sins, and he cares about every single one. He is angry over every single one of our sins. And yet he can forgive sinners. So that sinners like us, like David, can expect goodness from God because God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's who he is. So if you're not a Christian, I want to invite you to God's forgiveness right now. If you're not a Christian, forget everything I say. This is the most important one minute you will hear from this morning. God made you and created you. God is your creator. Therefore, you're accountable to him. God made you to enjoy him and know him and love him and enjoy him with people in this world. But we have sinned against God and rebelled against God. We didn't want God as our treasure to treasure God in our relationships. We wanted to use God as a butler for our real treasure. And because of that, you are damned. You are condemned. You are sentenced to death in hell, as am I, all sinners. God is our judge. God is not only our creator and judge, though here's the good news. God is Jesus. God the Son became a man, took on human flesh, and took on the name Jesus as the God-man lived in our place, fulfilled God's righteousness, never sinned, died on the cross for sinners like you and me, and rose from the dead so that everyone who repents and believes in Jesus can have eternal life. God is your Savior. He saves you and I from our sin and forgives us through Jesus Christ. So if you are not a Christian, if any children did not go to the children's class and are still here, I want you to know that you can become a Christian today. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on the name of Jesus. Repent from your sins right now. Repent from your goodness and your religiosity and your churchianity and come to Jesus. He will save you. He will forgive you. He'll give you his Holy Spirit and he will give you all of the goodness that we're going to see in the rest of the psalm. Look at verses three and four of Psalm 16. Verse three says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood will not pour out or take, or I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So now David's talking about people. In verse three, he's talking about what kind of people. Three and four is the contrast. Verse three is what kind of people? The righteous people. And verse four is what kind of people? You could say it a lot of different ways. How would you, how would you say it? Not righteous people? Unrighteous people? Yeah. Idolaters? Sure. Those who are not believers, good. Yes. And here's, a, here's why we should go to God for protection when we pray to God is because our delight is in God's people. David delights in God's people. That's what verse 3 says, right? As for the saints in the land, 
That's not, not angelic. They're in the land on earth. They are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. David loves God's people. He loves the saints, which is why I love being here today. So when I say thank you for being you, I mean it. My delight is in you, and it ought to be more. I don't know all of you, but I love you. I love you, saints. You are the temple of God. You are the reason I have hope for Los Angeles. You, you, you are the holy ones of God, the excellent ones. And you love my greatest treasure. You love Jesus. I love Jesus. And I want to love him more, and you love him. And because you love him, I love you even more. I love my non-Christian neighbors who also don't love Jesus, right? Just to be clear, I do. But my delight, our delight, is in the people of God because their delight is in God. And our company, the company, our closest company, cultivates our treasures. Our closest company, our closest company cultivates our cares, our desires, our gods. So I delight in the church of Jesus Christ. I delight in the Saints of Bethany Baptist Church. Of course, they're my favorite local church, obviously, you know, but I delight in the saints of God because they love Jesus, they point me to Jesus, they cultivate in me a love and joy and security in Jesus. So Lord, hear me, preserve me because I love you and I love your people. Not only do I love your people, verse 4, those who reject you, those who run after other gods, those who drink offerings of blood, I'm not going to sacrifice what they sacrifice. I'm not going to worship where they worship. I'm not going to worship where the world worships. They're made in your image, yes, but they value, they, they put you to the side and they worship created things. I will not do that. I won't take their names on my lips. In Romans 1, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And they approve of others who do unrighteousness. I will not approve what they approve of. I love them as myself, but I don't take them as my closest, dearest company that influence and cultivates the desires of my heart. Because I love you, God, and I love your people. So, God, preserve me. Preserve me. This is Psalm 1, 1, and 2, right? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in a group of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and on his law he meditates day and night, and he has a seat among the assembly of God's people. And this is the good news of the gospel as well, that God has not only saved you to, make, to give you a relationship with him, he saved you and put you in a family, right? If I adopt a child, they don't just get a, a mom and dad, they get brothers and sisters. They get the family, when God adopts you, you get a family. And so listen to Acts 26, 17, and 18. Paul's quoting Jesus, talking to Paul, and he says, Jesus said to Paul, I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And here it is, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. I talked about that. But that they may also receive a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. When you become a Christian, you get a share among the saints. You have a place among the people of God because God doesn't just save individuals. He saves a covenant people. He saves a family. And you get a share among the family in Christ Jesus. So we can trust God to protect us and preserve us as we pray to him because he's good to us in Christ and because of his covenant and because he made us 
part of his covenant people, and he's given us a love for his covenant people. We know that. So we know that God cares and he wants to preserve us from sin and final death, and even the trials of your life and the trials of my life. So brother, sister, pray for protection and look to God. King Saul, David's predecessor, did not look to God when he was in trouble and overwhelmed. He looked to a spiritist to consult the dead. He thought God didn't care, that God doesn't hear. David looks to God. You should look to God as well. And then as a church family, Generation Church family, there's a corporate application. You know that? For you, if, if you're part of the Generation Church family, you have responsibility to each other. How does this apply to you? Pray for other people. Don't just pray for your own preservation. Do you know the members of this church? Do you know your fellow members? Do you pray for them by name? Do you pray that God would preserve them? Deliver the, lead them not into temptation, but deliver them from the evil one? Do you pray that for your other members of this church? You're responsible for them. Pray for each other, intercede for each other, and then pray together. There's no reason you can't share a prayer request right after we close this, this gathering and pray for each other for preservation and protection. I'm not the only one with trials today. I know you got some. You could share one, and you could ask for prayer, and you could pray right, like, right after this gathering. If you're discouraged, don't be like Saul where he's like, God's not going to hear me. I want to encourage you. God hears you. Go to him. All right, let's go to the second one. So not only do we need to pray for protection if we're going to come to a place of glad security, we need to embrace encouragement. Look at verses 5 and 6. Why should we, uh, why should we um, be encouraged in, the light, in light of trials and in being overwhelmed? Look at verse 5. I want you to embrace the encouragements of verses 5 and 6. Why can you be encouraged? Verse 5. Yahweh is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. So why should you be encouraged even if you're in difficulty? Because God is your portion. That's what it says, right? He's your cup. He holds your lot. He holds your lot. Look at verse 6. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Do you see what he's saying here? What, what kind of language is this? Allotment, lot, inheritance. If you know the story of the Bible, what might David be thinking of when you get a lot? You get an inheritance. What is it? I'm sorry, the boundary markers? So what is it, what is it referring to if you know your Old Testament history? The promised land. How, how did people get their inheritance in the promised land? By what? By their what? By God. Someone else said here. By their tribes. Yes, by their tribes. If you're from the tribe of Judah, you had a certain allotment. And then your family had allotment. And then when your parents died, they gave you that inheritance, right? And so you had a lot. You had a place in God's land. You had a place in God's land. You were secure. You lived in the land where God lived. And God was your God. And your place and your inheritance was secure. Well, guess what it's saying in verse, uh, verse 5? It's better than this. Your land is... Imagine if you had... I mean, L.A. County. Someone mentioned how L.A. County houses. It's just ridiculous right now. You guys could pray. Well, let's pray for each other that we don't move to Texas or anything like that. <laughs> Who's that? Did Mike say that or DJ said that? Or DJ said that two weeks ago. Or, yeah. I listened to some of the sermons, by the way. Um, but, yeah. Um, don't, imagine if all of you had, if, if a lot was promised to all of you in L.A. County, a one-acre lot for each of you. Would you be down for that? Would you be good with that? Yeah, yeah right? I mean, a, a one-acre lot here with a house already there and then one acre of land here in L.A. County? Man. An acre? I'm just looking for a house. Yeah. Talking about an acre? You, you look forward to that allotment. That would be great. You know what's infinitely greater? Verse 5. The Lord is my portion. He holds my lot. 
Who is your lot? Who's your inheritance? God. God is your inheritance. God cannot give you more than, 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 than he has. It is impossible for God to give you more than he's given you because he's given you himself. That's Romans 8.32, right? Romans 8.32 says, he who, did not, um, he who did not deliver his son, wait, I forgot, I'm, I'm blanking out now. Uh, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give you everything? He gave you his son. He gave you himself. What do you want right now? What do I want? I want my trials to go. I want to be perfect in my time management. I want, to, I want to just kill it at home and kill it at, war, at church and, and be so connected to my kids. And I want to love my neighbors and have time to not rush through my neighbors, but have a conversation with them and get to know them better so I can share the gospel with them. That's what I want. So I feel like I need. And God's saying, PJ, Generation Church family, I've given you everything you need. I've given you myself. And you need me more than being a perfect manager of your time. I'll grow you in that. But you got me. That, and so verse six, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. You have a beautiful inheritance. Jesus said, I go to prepare what? A place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. In Luke 19, 17, he says, you're gonna rule over some towns. In Revelation 5, 10, we're going to rule with Jesus on the new earth forever and ever. You do have more than an acre, probably, on the new earth. You got a place, you got a spot, you got a dwelling place. And it's better than any house here in Los Angeles. And it's yours. And God will be there with you. And we'll be there. We'll be partying and celebrating and feasting and getting to know each other and learn from other people's stories and exploring and obeying the Lord and building more for his glory in the new earth forever. You have a place there. Embrace that encouragement in the midst of your current real heavy discouragement. They are real. They are real. I don't want to minimize them. But what, what Pastor Peter is preaching in my church right now, my other pastor, he's preaching this momentary light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. I'm not making light of your affliction. Paul is, <laughs> in a sense, right? He's saying, you know, yeah, you, you, lose, a, you know, lose a child, not making that light of it, but like in light of eternity, it's preparing an eternal weight of glory. You have an inheritance. So be encouraged. To quote Dwight Schrute from The Office, the Schrutes, he says, quote, the Schrutes have a word for, for when everything in a man's life comes together perfectly. You guys know this word? Any Office fans here besides me? Perfektenschlag. Yes, perfektenschlag. When everything in a man's life comes together. He, he says, I am so deep. I am so, like, work have a baby. I'm so deep in perfectenschlag. And he says, it also means perfect pork anus, but that's not, that's a secondary definition is what he says, right? But the point here is for, for Christians, for Christians, you are in perfectenschlag, for reals. Like not just, not just a phrase, like every, that, that's verse six. Verse six is perfectenschlag, right? The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. You can't have a better life. You're saying, PJ, I have a lot of trouble in my life. I know. But God's plan for you is perfect. And your inheritance is set and God has given you, given you himself. Okay, so embrace that encouragement. Let's move on. Because I'm running out of time. I had some illustrations here, but I'm going to move on here. Um, 
move on here. Let's go to, to, to point three. So if you're going to come to a place of glad security in Christ, pray for protection, embrace the encouragement of your inheritance that God has given you himself. Number three, resolve to worship. Verses seven and eight, resolve to worship. King Saul, David's predecessor, sought to compromise with God to get his way because he didn't want God. He didn't really worship God. He wanted to use God to secure his own treasures and his own kingdom for himself, not for God's glory. Like I said earlier, he thought God was silent and uninvolved in his life. But what we learn from verses 7 and 8, what David knows is that God is not silent. And being free from God's commands and leadership is not blessing, it's burden. Slavery to Christ is perfect freedom, one theologian has said. Because you are going to be free from something and you'll be a slave of something. So choose your freedom and choose your slavery. You can be free from God and Jesus, you can, but then you're enslaved to sin. Like PJ, I don't want to make, you know, you know some people like this, this is increasingly coming up in my own life and in our culture, where we're scared of commitment. I don't want to commit to anything. I want to be free from everything. I don't want any obligations anywhere. I will not commit to anything. Well, you're committed to uncommitment. And now you're enslaved to not being able to commit to things. Guess what? You're still committed to something. And that directs and guides and enslaves your life. Jesus is the only master who gives you perfect freedom because he dies for your sin and gives you life. So look at David. This is, this is the, the life of freedom that David points out in verses 7 and 8. So resolve to worship God. This is the life of worship. Look at verse 7. I bless Yahweh who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. So he blesses the Lord. He praises God for his goodness, his kindness, his character. He speaks of God highly and happily. Look at verse 7 again. He listens to God. God gives him counsel. And he listens to God's word and God's counsel. And I love this part. In night also my heart instructs me. When you think at night, you're laying down on your bed and you're thinking about God's word or you're thinking about a certain trial and you're praying, you know what God does sometimes, oftentimes? He instructs you by his spirit with the word dwelling in you. He instructs you. And David knows that. So I'm going to thank God. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to bless God. I'm going to listen to God. I am resolved to worship God. I'm resolved to bless God. I'm resolved to praise God. I'm resolved to listen to God. And in verse 8, I'm resolved to focus on God. I have set the Lord, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. I have set the Lord, he's always in front of me. This is what we mean when we sing the song, Be Thou My Vision. Do you guys know the song, Be Thou My Vision? Be Thou My Vision. My vision. I'm, you're in front of me. I'm, when I look, I see you. Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that Thou art. Thou my best thought. By day or by night, waking or sleeping, your presence, my life. I worship you when I'm awake. I worship you as I fall asleep. You are the best thing to think about, God. I love you. I praise you. I adore you. I'm committed to blessing your name even when life is hard. David knew that Yahweh was always with him. That's verse 8, right? I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. There's that glad security. You're in trial. There's an army at your door that wants to kill you. Because God's at your right hand, you will not be shaken. Does that mean God takes away all your trials? Yes or no? No. What it does mean is that God gives you peace. So Philippians 4, 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to all men. 
because the Lord is near. And it says, don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, make your request known to God with thanksgiving. And then verse seven, here's the result. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will what? What will it do? It'll guard your heart and mind. Will it eliminate the trial? No, it doesn't take the trial away. What does the peace do? It guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus, in the trial, in the suffering. Jesus said in another, in another I think it's in Luke 21, he says, they, your, your family's going to turn against you if you follow me. They'll, they'll kill you, but not a hair of your head shall perish. <laughs> what does that mean? They're going to kill me, but I mean, I don't have that much hair, but I, like, what does it mean that you're gonna, they're, they're going to kill me, but not a hair of my head shall perish? For Paul, they cut his head off and not a hair of his head perished. What that means is that God gives you peace in life and even as the guillotine is coming down. And he preserves your life and you never really truly experience death. He preserves you. And he will put that head back on that body. We'll get to that in a second. The point here is that you can bless God even in trial. Even when he doesn't take away the pain. He's there with you in the pain, counseling you, instructing your heart, being your vision, and being right by your side. So praise the Lord. Keep, keep worshiping together. You, some of you come here empty. Your tank is on empty when you come on a Sunday. Others of you come and your tank is full. You're ready to just praise the Lord. And then a few weeks later, it switches. You're the one on empty, and someone else is on full. And when you come together anyway, on empty or full, and you praise God, you help others fill up on the Lord. You do. So I just want to say, if you're resolved to worship the Lord, I'm not saying individual, I'm saying as a church family, resolve to come to every Sunday gathering. Be here. Be committed. Be praying for each other. Get to know each other. Love each other. Give. Build something here for God's glory, a people worthy of his name. Let's go to this last one. Okay, so if you're going to come to a place of glad security, let me recap. Pray for protection, verses 1 through 4. Embrace the encouragement of your inheritance, verses 5 and 6. Resolve to worship the Lord no matter what, verses 7 and 8. And lastly, if you're going to come to this place of glad security in Christ, this is a little weird. I feel this is not health and wealth, prosperity, but declare your glad security in the Lord. I almost want to say claim it. Name it and claim it. Okay, not in the, not in the prosperity gospel kind of way, but declare... I declare, right, declare your, your glad security in the Lord. Look at verse 9. This is what David says. Therefore, if God protects me and answers my prayer, if God has given me an inheritance and a, an allotment and he's my treasure, and if God is with me and counseling me even in my trials, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. Even my body, my flesh, dwells secure. That's what I want for you. That's my prayer for you. As you pray and embrace encouragement, as you worship the Lord, and as you declare your security, God moves you to a place of more and more glad security in Christ. So even if you're like 30% secure, just declare in a sense that God is God and that you are secure in Christ because you are, and rejoice in him. If you have 30% joy and 70% lack of joy, God, please forgive me for my lack of joy and thank you for the 30%. I praise you with my 
And you know what God does sometimes, oftentimes, as you repent and, and do that? He gives you 31% joy and 32% joy. And it goes up and down, but we declare that our heart is glad in the Lord and our body will rest securely in him. Now, why can you declare yourself gladly secure? I already told you because God's your protector, your portion, and your present guide. That's from verses 1 through 8. But look at verse 10. Here's another reason. Verse 10 says, why? Why can you declare this? For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You know why you can declare yourself secure? Because you have, it says here that God won't abandon your, you to hell, basically, to the place of the dead. And he won't let his Holy One see corruption. In other words, you have hope in the face of death. You hear me? I don't want, I don't want you to, to, to go too fast over that. You have hope in the face of death. What do I mean by that? When you die, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, he will live. And the one who trusts in me even uh, will never die. Let's put that together. He says, you'll never die, and if you die, you'll live. But the point here is that even if you die, you'll live. There is no need to fear what's on the other side of death. You can rest secure. secure. So if you, are, if you are secure in death, then I could be secure with my lack of time management and my overwhelm that I'm feeling right now. I'm not saying it's not a problem. I feel that pressure. I feel like I'm letting my kids down. I feel like I'm letting my wife down. I feel like I'm letting my church down right now. Like, I, I feel that. It's not a nothing. But if God's going to help me face death and hell, to say I'm going to heaven and I will never experience death, hey, I could get through another few months of trying to figure out how to, how to make my schedule work better. I could endure and keep trying. I could keep going. Because I have hope in death. Now, this hope is beyond just that kind of hope in death. Because it not only says in verse 10, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. It says, or let your holy one see corruption. Who is that holy one? If you know the book of Acts, Peter and Paul says that holy one is who? Jesus. Did David's body corrupt in the grave? Yes. It's, it's, it's corrupted now. It's, it's, it's dust. Did Jesus' body turn to dust ever? No. He was, in the he was in the grave for how long? Three days. And on the Lord's day, we talk about Lord's day, on the Lord's day, what happened? He rose from the dead. God did not let, let his holy one, Jesus, the Messiah, right, let him corrupt in, 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 in death. He raised him from the dead, and David saw that. David knew that there was a Davidic promise to him that he'd have a son who would reign forever. It says in Acts chapter 2 that David knew this. And because he knew, he said, you won't abandon me to hell, but not only won't you abandon me, even your Holy One will not see corruption. Jesus Christ would die for sins, he would rise from the dead. So now I know, even though David did not know Jesus, like all the information we have, he did know that there would be a promise of a final king. Because of that, David says, I know that the resurrection hope is there for me too. That I will not be abandoned in hell forever. And neither will you because Jesus died for you and rose for you. And the song we sang, I just want to point out, because I loved, I love, love what, what we say. Something about, bo about, about bones. What was the line about bones? Yeah, but what was the, the line about bones? The bones will what? Our bones will cry out. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, okay, these bones, 43-year-old bones, right? <laughs> these bones are going to decay for a season. But these bones will rise. Not just bones in general. 
these, my actual, your, if you're a Christian, your actual body, your bones will be resurrected. And these bones that we're singing right here at this chair are the same bones in the new earth that are going to praise God forever. Because Jesus rose from the dead, you'll rise from the dead. Because Jesus defeated death, you can face death. Because he died for your sins, your sins can be forgiven. Brothers and sisters, we have hope. So we could declare ourselves gladly secure. And then verse 11, last verse. You make known to me the path of life. There's a, there's a gift there. God makes known the path of life. God reveals the path of life to you. He tells you how to have life. And Jesus even said it more explicitly. I am the what? I am the way, the truth, and life. What is the path of life? Jesus is the path of life. Have Jesus. God makes to, himself known to you in Jesus. So now you have the path to live in this world along the way of following Jesus, and you have eternal life. And what is this eternal life that you even enjoy now? Verse 11, the rest of verse 11. You have God's presence. And in your presence is what? Fullness of joy. In God's presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are what? Pleasures. How long? Forevermore. Is there anything fuller than full, John Piper says? No. You have fullness of joy. Is there anything longer than forever? No. This is the highest and longest pleasure and joy you could ever have. And you get God forever. If you think heaven will be boring, that's a real legit thought for a lot of people. Talk to Pastor Jeff. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you right now. <laughs> heaven will not be boring. But that is a real objection that I wish I had time to unpack here. I don't. But heaven will not be boring. Let me say this about heaven. You will have fullness of joy and your pleasures will be forevermore. Let me just say this actually as well. Your joy is not only going to be full, it's going to be increasingly full. How can it be increasingly full? I love this analogy. It's like the fullness of a balloon. If I blow air into a balloon, is it full? Yes. Can I put more, can I put more air into a full balloon? Yeah. It can just expand and expand and expand. And guess what? When you are walking with Christ in this new earth, on this new resurrected earth, renewed earth, your joy will not be stagnant. It will be full, but it'll become fuller and fuller. And your joy will never stop expanding for all eternity. In God's presence is fullness of joy, and at his pleasures are, and in his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Revelation 22 says this, therefore there, there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of lamp or of sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. They will reign forever and ever. Declare your glad security. You don't need to be anxious. And when you're anxious, you can go to God with your anxiety. You don't need to be self-loathing or defeated or worrying ultimately. You can rest in the Holy One who died for you and rose for you. So pray. for. I'll just recap here. Pray for preservation. Embrace the encouragement of your inheritance. Resolve to worship God individually and together, personally and together. And declare your glad security. Let me ask you a few questions here. Do you pray as you should? Yes or no? No. Have you failed to pray sometimes? Yes. Um, have you belittled your portion that God has given you? Have you longed for other lots more than God himself? Yes, you have. I have as well. Have you been overwhelmed with worry and anxiety and fear and distraction? I have. And so we, we don't deserve God's glad security. We deserve God's wrath. There's only one person who deserved God's glad security. Only one person who always prayed. 
and who was always embracing the encouragement and always had God as his treasure. There's only one person who was resolved to worship and never stopped worshiping. And he's the only one who deserves glad security. And yet, you know what happened? He prayed three times for the cross to be passed. He's the only one who went to the, not just did he abandon glad security, he went to the deepest, darkest, most dangerous experience that any human will ever experience in the world. He hung on the cross for six hours, and three of those hours, those last three hours, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the person who deserves all the glad security received all the danger, all the abandonment, all the wrath, all the judgment, all the condemnation, all the damnation, all that you'd experience in hell for an eternity. He received all of that in those three hours on that cross. Lord, you deserve glad security, not us. Yet he took our place, and he gives you and I glad security in him. So look to Jesus and move towards Jesus to a place of glad security. Father in heaven, take these many, many words. May everything that's unhelpful be forgotten. And may your words and the words that represent you faithfully sustain our lives. Give us glad security in you. Give us peace in you. Make our hearts glad and make our whole being rejoice and may our flesh dwell secure because in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore and you give us that experience in part now and our hope forever to come. Preserve us, O oh God. Protect us from the evil one who seeks to destroy us. Preserve us from our own sinfulness and the possibility of us falling away in our sin. And give us life in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.